Hi, I'm Dmitro Shvets, your host at the Start Global Insights, where I interview experts from different countries about local business secrets and international expansion experience. No matter if you are selling locally or globally, to establish your presence in the market, you need to negotiate. And this is a skill that needs constant development and practice. There are different styles and approaches of negotiations, but one of the methodologies is worth paying attention to. And I'm talking about the Harvard negotiation model or interest-based negotiations. And to dive deeper into this methodology, we definitely need an expert. And I would like to welcome my today's guest, Linda Netsch, the founder of Align Consulting and general manager at the law firm Flex by Fenwick, and a lecturer on law at Harvard and Stanford Law Schools, and visiting lecturer at Ukrainian Christian University Business School. Linda has uh, more than 20 years of experience of helping clients to become better negotiators and leaders in US, Europe, Asia, and Middle East. And before private law practice, Linda served as an officer in the US Air Force. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dmitro. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Linda, could you tell us your story, like the short version of it, uh, how you ended up in practicing and teaching negotiations? Uh, yeah, well, the short version of that story, I, I start, as you mentioned, I started out my career as an Air Force officer and my first duty station was at Ramstein Air Base in Germany, where we were putting together a mobile satellite communication system for, for NATO and Western Europe. And at the time I had no formal training in negotiation, but I was negotiating all the time with other military members, NATO members, civilian, uh, civilian personnel, defense contractors. So I had a lot of experience negotiating, but a lot, not a lot of formal training or theory behind things that worked or didn't work. Um, and so when I went back to the States and uh, went to law school, uh, uh, at the time, the Uh, author of Getting to Yes, Roger Fisher and his colleague Bruce Patton were teaching a course in negotiation at Harvard Law School. I took that uh, my first year of law school. Uh, it was, uh, it, it at the time, I remember thinking it was common sense, as Roger Fisher said, or, organized common sense and not necessarily common practice. But I, I started to notice that as I went out after law school and practiced law and in my professional career, I was constantly coming back to some of these principles and ideas that were very practical that you can actually use in real life negotiations and can help you be better, help you learn from your mistakes, help you realize uh, choices that might be more effective. So I hope that's the shorter version of how I ended up um, focusing on this field. Thank you. And could you tell what is behind this uh, method of Harvard negotiation? Now, what's so special about that? Yeah. And as you mentioned, you can think about it as interest-based negotiation. So it is the notion of interests versus just fighting over positions or demands. That's a core part of the negotiation. Um, it, as laid out in the book, Getting to Yes, there are some key aspects uh, often talked about as seven elements of negotiation. I think for our purposes, it's helpful to think through at least four of those One being the notion of interest, like what are the things that motivate people uh, and, and how can you think about options and element number two or one of the seven elements. 
that satisfy those interests. Um, and so that's the notion of uh, interest-based negotiation. Uh, the, the, the simple example that actually illustrates the point, I think, quite well, it's in lots of books about negotiation, is the story of two children arguing over an orange. Each each child's position is that it's mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the typical parent response to that would be to cut the orange in half, give uh, half to each child, and that is the chosen option. Um, however, one child takes the fruit and eats it and throws the peel away. The other child takes the fruit and throws it away and uses the peel to flavor a cake. That, that might be an unusual child that watches too many cooking shows. Uh, nonetheless, I think it illustrates the point well, which is had the parent understood the interests as opposed to just the argument over the positions, there was a solution whereby uh, creating value solution to use that negotiation lingo, whereby one child could have had more of their interests met. Both child could have had, both children could have had their interests met better with a different option chosen. So fundamentally it is understand the the primary interests motivating the parties and then think through solutions or options which best satisfy those uh, those interests. Uh, and then just quickly, a couple of two other of the seven elements that are often talked about through the Harvard program, uh, the notion of alternatives, that if you and I are negotiating, uh, but we can't get a deal that satisfies our interests, or we could do a negotiation with someone else that better satisfies our interests, that alternative, the lingo that's often used is BATNA, which stands for best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Uh, that's an important thing to think about in your negotiations as well, because sometimes the best outcome in the negotiation you're in right now is not getting a deal and doing a deal with someone else or some other party that can better satisfy your interests. And then uh, I guess the fourth fourth element, I often use the term legitimacy. You'll see it in uh, many books as standards or criteria. That's essentially what are the benchmarks that are relevant in the negotiation, which might point toward the fairness or reasonableness of one option versus another. So things like uh, market comparables or legal precedent or laws in general. So things that are outside of just the pure power or will of the parties that inform which options among those that are discussed um, feel most justified and most reasonable to both parties. Interesting. I, I actually use the same example in my courses. When I mention negotiation uh, uh, based on interest, I, I use the same uh, example, but I'm using lemon, not, not the, <laughs> not the uh, orange. And I, I, I talk about uh, wife and um, husband <laughs> education. So I, I don't need to attract parents for, for this decision. Yeah. And, you know, even those kind of simple examples, uh, I think they really illustrate something that happens in real life more often than maybe we're aware of, that we're arguing about a particular demand or option or offer without really stepping back and thinking through, well, wait a minute, what what really matters to the parties here? What really are the variety of interests uh, that can be satisfied? And can we figure out a way to bridge the gap and get a deal that actually works for both sides? 
Yeah, and, and actually get more for both, both sides, not not for only one. Right. And in, in, in connection to that, uh, the question is, uh, what are the alternative me negotiation methods? Because uh, in my life, I visited a lot of these small courses for negotiations, and they are teaching you how to convince other people by your product, how to win the negotiation, how to be the the best of the best, and uh, and, and actually go with the, the biggest value for yourself uh, from from negotiations. Certainly, there are certainly different styles and approaches to negotiation, and uh, and we certainly see them in the world in general. And and I think so. There might be more of a if we think of interest based negotiation, this notion of you can get a deal that's better for both sides. That might be creating value, that kind of mindset versus a much more I win, you lose, zero sum approach to negotiation. Uh, we're, we've certainly all seen that play out. Some people think that's the way to go. I, I figure out how to outsmart you, out manipulate you, uh, scare you, threaten you and get more for myself that way. Very much a mindset of focused on, uh, on, on claiming as much for oneself as you can. Uh, and that's out there in the world. We will encounter um, people who's who have that mindset. And then it's just important uh, when I, when I personally uh, encounter people who I assume have more of that attitude, then I'm going to be just much stronger around my alternatives, around coming up with strong standards, benchmarks, criteria that support a point of view that I'm comfortable with, understanding the interests of the other side, even if it's just giving small wins to a win lose person such that they have that part of their own interest met. Um, so I think you can be consistent in your, uh, for me, I feel like I can be consistent in a model that makes sense to me. I'm just going to use the elements differently. If I find someone who's has a, has a much more of a distributive or zero sum attitude toward negotiation. So you actually can use this method uh, even if the other party is not using that. Yeah? So if, if the other party is using this zero sum approach. Absolutely. While you were talking, I remembered when when I learned negotiations first time, and uh, that was in in nineties after the perestroika in Ukraine in the streets of Kiev. So that was the the biggest, the best place to learn negotiation for uh, me at that time. I was a teenager, and uh, we had this, uh, you know, like gangs of uh, bad guys uh, walking around. And then when you met them, then uh, you could either fight, uh, but you were like alone and they, there were many of them, or negotiate. And uh, and I, I was doing both actually <laughs> exercises, but, but, <laughs> but at some time I understood that it is much more better to negotiate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're illustrating... That, that kind of uh, diagnosis between whether I should I should negotiate or I should walk to my alternative. And if your alternative is a fight, especially one you might not win, uh, then then it's a particularly important to think through a different approach and not choose your alternative, but to figure out a way to negotiate, even if the other side doesn't seem necessarily obviously willing at the at the outset. So it's it's quite a good uh, good uh, thing to teach negotiation at schools. Uh, I think it would it would definitely help uh, to diminish fights uh, between uh, between children and uh, this type of bullying activities. Yeah, and I think in the in an educational setting, whether it's in grade schools or in your postgraduate uh, programs or professional education, uh, just. That the beauty of being able to run simulations and see the results 
help you see the differences between a choice that is very much around manipulation and fighting versus a choice where you're actually looking to try to build deals, build relationships, understand interests. Uh, you get a little bit of evidence that comes out of that experience when you can see the outcomes and the impact on long-term relationships and the impact on your own reputation. Yeah, you, you can actually hear a lot of times about the uh, approaches and methodologies, but if you do not use it, if, if you didn't uh, experience that uh, yeah, feelings with, with your own body and language, then you won't understand how to use that. And I, actually, what I was reading about the Harvard uh, approach, at, at, uh, and I was looking at the courses at the Harvard um, website, there are a lot of simulations. It's like the core of, of the education system. Yeah. You know, what, what Roger Fisher used to say, the getting to yes author was, uh, you know, negotiation is a skill, um, much like if you were learning to play tennis or to ski, uh, you can talk about it, but unless you actually get out there and practice and, and uh, participate and do the actions of negotiating, it's, uh, you're, you're not going to improve or not going to necessarily learn the lessons. Much like if you were learning to, to play tennis, you've got you to take some swings, you've got to hit some tennis balls. Uh, and that helps you learn. And so it's very much that the power of negotiating is that you can always learn. I learn every time I teach the course, I still learn every time I interact with different people, different groups. Uh, I, I see diff different aspects of negotiation. It's kind of a lifelong learning uh, experience and it's a skill. True, true. I totally agree with that. Uh, talking about what you just said, that you, with different people, with different situations, you are learning different approaches. And uh, as you had uh, so much experience in uh, uh, different countries, in different um, areas of the world, um, have you um, experienced this feeling of uh, different approaches of to negotiation within different countries or different cultures? Certainly you notice differences. I, I think the biggest surprise for me, again, having taught this material to groups of people all around the world, um, is, is how much more similar we are than I would necessarily, than you might think when there's an analysis of the differences in cultures, language, governments, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, even if, if you think about even within a country the size of the United States, I live in California, but I was born in the Midwest and I've lived in the South. Those are three very different uh, cultures, if you will, that um, despite the fact there's a shared language, same shared history to some extent, shared government <laughs> to some extent. And uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think it, you, you see it throughout the world too. Uh, you know, if I go to, if I go to Japan, there might be a different kind of cultural norm about communication and negotiation expectations. Uh, or if I'm in the Middle East or in, in Ukraine. Um, I think the important thing is that the fundamental principles are the same. They just need to be adapted to the context. So, for example, you know, every, every, every person, let alone every culture, has a set of norms and behaviors that, that might be different than other, other places. And awareness, I think, is, one of the most important things when you're negotiating with other cultures is be humble and realize you might not understand a lot about what the expectations and the norms are within that culture um, and be open to even everything you've read that tells you about how people negotiate in Japan or how people negotiate in China. 
those are stereotypes. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're way off. Um, so learning in the moment by observing behavior, asking good questions, not getting too wedded to your own assumptions. That's a helpful way to think about negotiating in different parts of the world. But every person has a set of interests. um, Negotiation is about coming up with deals or options. That applies. It just might be measured by different criteria in different cultures. Um, Every negotiation has an alternative. It might be a bad one. It might mean you're going to fight instead of get a deal. But those, those ways of analyzing what's happening um, are, uh, you can use the, the same tools, but again, you've just got to understand that what people's interests are and what the norms of a particular society are vary um, throughout the world. It's, uh, it's, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking about the approaches again. So uh, there are several like courses or uh, education directions that are teaching about how to negotiate in Japan or how to negotiate in the Middle East what you should know, how they behave, what is the culture. I remember in my school, uh, in, in the high school, uh, there was a course about intercultural communication and uh, they were teaching us what is the distance that is um, okay for some other nations. And, and then you should consider that while you are negotiating. And then uh, you understand when, when I was already working with different countries and when I was in, in different situations, and then understood exactly what you said, that it might be true. So they might be, have this uh, rules or norms, but the uh, first thing that uh, they are already um, expecting that you will do some mistakes as a foreigner. And the second thing is that in reality, it is not so strict. So it is so generalized that uh, uh, there are a lot of different in, subcultures in the culture. And even if you are negotiating in your home country, um, in some cases, you think that you know the norms, but the norms of the other parties are totally different. And in this case, this approach of uh, interest-based uh, negotiations, when you are expecting to understand uh, the other party and you are listening more than you are talking, then you can actually find out whether you are right or, or you are wrong. And if, even if you are, you are wrong, then if you are a good listener and the other party knows that you are willing to understand them, they will correct you and, and then you will learn immediately. Absolutely. And, and I think that point about listening skills, uh, I, I, I don't think that people haven't thought about listening as one of your strongest negotiation tools, but it really is. If we, if we think about a lot of negotiation is predicting consequences um, and understanding likely responses from the people you're negotiating with. And the better you understand the people you're negotiating with, what motivates them, what they think is persuasive, what they think is the norm that applies, the more you understand that, the, the better you can be at anticipating their likely response or the consequences of a choice or proposal that you're making. And how do you learn what motivates them? Well, again, it's those asking good questions, listening to the response, paraphrasing or summarizing to make sure you understood correctly. And then if you didn't, they will give you them the opportunity to correct you. Um, so those, that, those skills, while, you know, I guess they would be quote unquote soft skills are incredibly powerful in uh, better in getting better at just understanding the perspective of people you're negotiating with. You can't influence people very well if you don't understand them at all. Um, and so the better you get at diagnosing, you know, what they care about, um, 
how they see the situation, the the better choices you can make around uh, what you are putting into your own proposals or offers, uh, the more persuasive you can be in in uh, negotiating with those counterparts. Just uh, remember this case from from the fiction book about like far far away space, like in the galaxy, some planet was discovered, and so the humans from Earth started to negotiate with locals from that distant planet. And I was reading and, and from the negotiator point of view, was thinking like how, how it is at all possible to, <laughs> to negotiate with uh, aliens when you don't understand, not the, even the interest, but you don't understand the language. Right. And then uh, they began to use some, some basic, like very core communication uh, activities. The pain and, and gain uh, and uh, what do you need and uh, what is uh, good for you, uh, good for me. And these are so basic things that are actually negotiable in a, in, in any culture or in, even even between <laughs> species, uh, yeah, in uh, in some in some distant future. Yeah, and it's about being curious about the people you're negotiating with or your your, your counterparts. Um, you know, as as you were talking, as we're talking about the broad topic of of listening, I from my own experience this year in Ukraine, what one thing that I experienced as uh, as an outsider was how obviously we didn't share a common uh, native language. Everyone was speaking English because I don't speak Ukrainian. Um, but what, what I was surprised at the at the curiosity, the good questions, the good active listening of the of the people that I was working with and encountering, and and what the impact on me was it it felt so much more comfortable then one might think if, again, you don't share a common language, a lot going on um, in uh, in your part of the world, but the skills of just being what appeared to me genuinely curious, genuinely interested, asking good questions, willing to share your own point of view, those, those fundamental communication skills are s- super helpful with negotiation, but they also just are good for human relationship building. Because again, for me, it felt as a at an odd time in history to be working with folks in Ukraine, I just remember I haven't felt so kind of comfortable. Um, I'd even say safe if that if you could say that word. And I think it's about the communication style of being curious, asking good questions, just feeling like you're really present in the conversation, in the negotiation. It has a positive impact. So if we kind of get back to our topic of negotiation, the more you're making the counterpart feel, that they're trusted, that they are involved, that they're that they are uh, welcome in the negotiation. Not, you know, not everyone. You've got to be careful if you're if you're negotiating with that zero sum person. You might have to take it a different approach. But when you see your counterparts are actually interested in doing a deal, understanding how to make it better, curious about you as a person, uh, it I think it creates a much better environment for a, a much more likely uh, value creation process of negotiation. You know, I, I'm just thinking that maybe it, it, it depends not on the nation or the, the cultural aspect, but on the level of um, of adulthood of the nation. Yeah. So how, what, what is the level of their development? Uh, mm-hmm. What is the level of uh, basic needs satisfaction? Because mm-hmm. uh, if you are not satisfied and uh, you, you literally, literally, you don't have something to eat, yeah, so then then you don't think about somebody else's uh, interests or you don't uh, even imagine that you can 
talking this way and uh, that's why you are negotiating uh, within this zero sum because you needed so um so much uh, this attitude or uh, feel feel of power or whatever uh, it might be and the more i work with western culture with developed countries like sweden for example denmark they are so relaxed so they they, they just don't care even so they, they do not expect that you will cheat them <laughs> and uh, the more you are going to the east and to the less developed countries uh, I, I didn't have too much experience with africa for example but i had a lot of with uh, post-soviet union countries mm-hmm. and then when i went there i felt like i i was again in 90s in in the streets of ukraine in some cases yeah so uh, th- this uh, this type of negotiation of the show off of of uh, showing you the power and masculinity and uh, that uh, they need to win and you need to lose and in these cases uh, you are like gathering this information and i actually brought this cultural information about this type of cultures and i, I could teach them uh, th- i could teach about that yeah so i could say that in Azerbaijan, they are, they behave like that, yeah. Or in Kyrgyzstan, they behave like mm-hmm. that. But in the same case, and in the same time, in this in the same countries, I met a lot of people that were um, highly educated, uh, developed, and and uh, they were negotiating in other style. So it 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 was really not the country the country based uh, or cultural based treat, but more more about this uh, levels of. Uh, personal development of spiritual development of people and what they value in life and then the the, the bigger value they have the easier uh, communication goes so they are not so um frightened yeah. and the more frightened they are the the worse negotiation goes so the, the and, and what i say is sometimes that all people in, in the world are good people but uh, and, and if they are doing something wrong it means that they are uh, suffering so they have something bad is going on with them, and either they they are frightened, or they are not getting something to eat, or some something very bad, and that's why they are angry. That's why they are not uh, negotiating and thinking about your interests, but, but thinking about, mm-hmm. only about uh, their interests. Yeah, and uh, and the information that they might be consuming um, may or may not be accurate, uh, which could motivate different behaviors. Yeah. 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 I, I think that I think that's right. It, it, it's kind of back to that first principle of what are their interests. If your if your interest is just basic survival, and the norms you've been exposed to are uh, very much zero sum, it, it's natural that you would be suspicious. It, 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 that tends to, to me at least, describe an environment which is very low trust, very much zero sum. You win, I lose which just means I've got to be careful to just, my main focus is going to be protecting myself and having my basic needs needs met. Uh, and, and that's just a very different context than, hey, let's figure out what you have that's good for, that is useful to me, what I have that's useful to you, whether we can put those things together to get a deal that's good for both of us. That's just a completely different context than, you know, my life depends on getting as much as I can no matter what in this particular situation. Linda's experience and insights were so interesting that I just could not compress them into one episode. We kept talking for more than one hour and I decided to split our conversation in two parts. The next part will cover the negotiation culture in the US and stereotypes about that. 
We will also dive deeper into the Harvard negotiation methodology and discuss tools and approaches that you can use in your negotiations. So, stay tuned, and if you have not done it yet, subscribe to the Start Global Insights on all major platforms for podcasts not to miss the second part of our conversation with Linda Netsch, a practicing negotiator and lecturer at Harvard and Stanford universities.